Hello everyone, my name is Logan, and that does in fact mean that you are listening to the Crowncast. And we have not talked to you in a little while because, well, there hasn't, hasn't been football in a little while, which means it's been a whole week, seven whole days since we've gotten to talk to you. And we, of course, uh, means that I'm not here alone. I am here as ever with Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. You know, I'm surviving the, the break as it would be. Uh, you know, these, these footballers, they are apparently, I have it here in my notes that they are human beings and need rest. Um, I'm not actually sure if that's true. I thought that they were robots designed purely for our entertainment and to make sure that we always had something interesting to watch on the television. You know, can you confirm or deny whether or not they are in fact human beings some of them are i i assume uh i don't know for sure uh, having not dissected any of them but uh many of them also were uh out playing for their international teams that is uh, true we, we had a couple what is what's called for for our less stalker knowledgeable listeners in, in an international break we had um uh, Swiderski and Jaswiak went to play for Poland. Uh, I'm pretty sure Makun got the call up for Venezuela again. Um, I think that may have been it for our players right now, but we did have some players go. I know that Swiderski scored uh, for Poland during one of these international matches. So Hey, let's hope that brings back a little bit of his confidence and maybe he brings that back to Charlotte FC uh, where he can do... You know, there's... No other changes that uh, he's going to come back to Charlotte FC and, and go, wow, something interesting happened, right? Yeah, no. Uh, again, no news. <laughs> no news going on. No, there's all of the news. And before we do anything, first off, uh, I'd like to, to say a shout out to our listeners. Uh, thank you all for, for sticking with us, for listening to us. And thank you for caring about us. I got a couple of wonderful people who, who shouted out to me on our social medias, too to feel better, to, to get well, and to, to beat COVID. And that was incredible. That made me so happy. It really lifted me. And, uh, and I really appreciate it. So Martin Smith and some of you other listeners who came out and, and wished me the best, uh, thank you so much. Uh, that is, it's mind-boggling how, how good of a community we already have. And, with and in news, case you can't tell, he did, in fact, beat it. Logan didn't die from COVID or anything. Oh, yes, uh, I am not. Back. I'm not dead. Um, I mean, yeah. I like to think that even if COVID had beaten me, I would come back from the grave just to do a podcast. <laughs> but uh, you know what? Let's not think those thoughts. Either way, we do have big news for you. Uh, those of you who have been longtime listeners to the podcast will know that we got the chance to interview a player once, a very fine gentleman by the name of Brant Bronico, and he's coming back. We get to talk to him again. Uh, we got to talk to him in sort of a very short-form interview the first time, and we really enjoyed working with him. He enjoyed hanging out with us, and so we're going to do the whole thing again, but this time we're going to be able to really focus it on football, on him, on the game, and we're going to have him for a significantly longer period of time. We're going to get him in the professional studio, so we're all going to really sound good, and it's going to be a lot of fun. That being said... We want to take our joy and our opportunity and pass it along to some of you listeners. So we are inviting you, please, uh, go onto any of our social media accounts. You can find us, find us at The Crowncast, anywhere you look up social media, and send us a message. Send us a question. 
that you would like us to ask Brant Bronico. We're not going to be able to uh, use all the questions, but we are probably going to try and pick a couple and ask those questions to the man himself. Uh, so we'd love for you to be a part of that. We'd love to hear what you want to know about Charlotte FC from the number 13. Uh, and with that big your news, question, uh, if we use your question, we'll make sure to give you a shout out during the interview and everything too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but with that big news for us, there is uh, bigger news going on for Charlotte FC. The obviously first of which is Miguel Ramirez no longer here. We discussed that previously, but there's been a little bit more um, coming into the light about what's actually happened since we spoke to you a week ago. Justin, Christian Fuchs just did an interview in which uh, he he was a, willing to be a little bit more open than a lot of the other people involved have been. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, so let's be honest about this, right? Christian Fuchs is 36 years old. He is a great player and, and has been, uh, you know, for a long time. He's a Premier League winning footballer with Leicester City in 2015. And uh, at this point... As his charity would indicate, the man has no Fuchs left to give. And he just went in, uh, in an interview with uh, uh, the Charlotte FCB, the beat writers, um, the first player interview since Miguel Angel Ramirez was fired. Obviously, there had been a bunch swirling about, you know, Ramirez lost the locker room, a designated player refused to play for uh, Ramirez when they came back from international duty, all sorts of rumor and hearsay going on um and fuchs just came out and said you know uh it's just another manager change of course people are disappointed some are more some are less for me it was overall disappointment in terms of him not being able to really connect with us a lot of what christian fuchs had to say it, it never came out and said flat out we didn't like playing for Ramirez. But the subtext is absolutely there. There were fractures between us and the coaching staff. Um, he said, you know, uh, he knocked a lot about the training. Um, he said a variety of different things that the training sessions weren't intense enough. They didn't necessarily focus enough on the physical fitness of the squad. Uh, and that's something that he, uh, Christian Fuchs, took issue with saying, you know, this is a squad that needs fitness. You need to be able to run. And that wasn't ever really something that apparently the team worked on during training sessions. Um, apparently, there was not a lot of review and recap of previous matches to determine what worked and what didn't. Um, which I think, you know, we commented a little bit in some of our post-reacts, right, about we looked good playing this particular system and then the next match would start and we would go right back to where we were before that, that wasn't necessarily playing well. And, you know, it sounds like maybe some of the players had similar issues with, uh, with Ramirez. And then, um, you know, it, it, the other thing that he called out uh, was, and this is a direct quote, what the team needs is confidence, especially away from home for us to be a playoff contender. We need to get those points away from home uh, end quote. And so, you know, he he, uh, he talked a little bit about apparently Ramirez didn't have the best attitude be, uh, coming out of the losses, didn't really present it as a, you know, come on, guys, let's go. We'll get the next one or anything like that, but got a little sulky. So I think that, that what has become clear from all of this is uh, he did lose the team. 
you know, this is the captain coming out and saying this. Yeah. This is the 36 year old, you know, our first big name signing continues to probably be our biggest on the world stage. Uh, you know, the biggest name that you could pull out uh, and say, I recognize this player from, from Charlotte FC. Well, um, I, I, I want to come across here just for a minute because I think one of the biggest things that I heard in that was that he openly said he stopped discussing things with Miguel Ramirez. He said that as the captain of the team, players were bringing things to him. And that, that is very common. It's so, so there aren't a thousand people knocking on a manager's door or a coach's door in any sports team. It's very common that the team captains become a almost, almost advisory position to the manager uh, where that captain can then go take the issues at hand to the manager and they can sort them out together instead of it just constantly being a banging on the door thing. Uh, that's normal. But if Christian Fuchs wasn't being heard by MAR, and again, right now we only have Christian Fuchs's side. Um, so everything we're talking about here is based on this one interview. We don't have, we don't have nine sources confirming this, but if MAR kind of shut the door on Christian Fuchs and, and the issues that Christian Fuchs was bringing to the table, I mean, you're going to lose the dressing room. I don't think you can, you can reasonably expect to maybe not completely, but mostly ignore the concerns of the people you're working with and expect them to follow you for lack of a better term into battle. I mean, Justin, do you, do you feel similarly in this? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think that, it, and you're right in that we don't have any additional sort of verification about this, that, that, that Fuchs is the only one who has publicly spoken about it. But when you combine this with the rumors coming out of the team, and, and it has sort of gone back and forth about, oh, he lost the dressing room, or he didn't, or, you know, any of that, but, but still, there is enough smoke here that there is a you can, I think, safely say there's a fire. And I think it's safe to say that, you know, this is not just a, whether it was Carol Swiderski saying, you know, oh, I'm not going to come back and play after the international break or, or not. There was a schism here. There was a break. And uh, it, when faith has been lost that much, that, that the captain who, you know, it's not just the captain advocating the message to, the manager either it's the the responsibility of the captain is also to bring the manager's message back and get the team to buy into it and so if if we had reached a point where christian fuchs wasn't communicating and wasn't you know there to advocate in both directions um we were lost as a squad and and so if that's the case i have to say it's a good decision to move on now from from mar yeah, um, I was I shocked by it when it first happened, but now, you know, as more has, has come out, I think it was the right call. Yeah, I, I think it probably is the right call, but I, I'm hesitant to really go two-footed, like we said, when we only have one side of the story. I do think that if you look at it objectively, the side of the story we have is probably mostly telling the truth. Uh I think MAR's gone. I don't think there's any reason to lie about this and make it worse or better than it was. I think that, like you said, Christian Fuchs is... I'm not going to say he's bigger than the MLS anyway, but 
Christian Fuchs's career is not going to be affected by him telling us the truth here, so he has no reason to to sugarcoat or lie. I think I think we probably have some, like you said, there's enough smoke to know there's a fire, and as a result, I think it's probably very similar to you. I think it's it was probably time for MAR to go. We are uh, going to move on because I'm sure more stuff is going to come out about this in the future, but we're going to move on from now and completely objective of MAR's how he treated the players or what we saw in the locker room, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to get in, going to get into what MAR did while he was here. And we're going to look at the three traditional sections of the pitch. Uh, first, the defense, then the midfield, and then we're going to look at the attack. And we're going to talk about whether or not we liked him. We're going to, we're going to put MAR under a, a performance review in these three sections of the pitch. Did he achieve what we would have wanted him to achieve? Uh, and, and we're going to see what we think about at the end of this. So, Justin, I think it's smart we think about the defense first. And my reasoning for this is simple. I actually think MAR came in and tried to sort the defense first. I think he came in with the mentality that he was going to build a good defense and then use that good defense as a launch platform to be effective into the attack where the whole team felt like they had faith in what was behind them. Are you comfortable doing the defense first or do you want to switch it up? No, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I, I'm more than ready to talk through <laughs> through that part. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, I haven't necessarily always been thrilled with how we have played uh, defensively, both from a, a you know, performance of the the individual defenders and, and the, you know, the way we were set up. Um, and also, you know, the defense's responsibility to build into the attack. So, hey, we're going uh, to yeah, we're gonna get, get to into it. All of that into our score here. And Justin, at the end of this, I think we're both going to assign an out of 10 score to Miguel Ramirez for his work in those areas of the pitch. We may assign different scores. That's okay. We don't have to come to an agreement. Um, this is about how he did with what he had, right? Um, yep. It's it's not necessarily about the fact that I don't think either one of us think that right now Christian McCoon is performing to a, a, a level 10 or a, a 10 out of 10 level or, you know, it, it's about what he had and how he did with it. So I'm going to go first for the defense. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this a little bit in reverse because I haven't really convinced myself of a score yet. And I hope that as I talk my way through it, I'll, I'll convince myself into sort of nailing it down. The right pod of our defense, as I have talked about before, I think looked pretty good. I think Jalen Lindsay and Harrison Awful, by the way, who I think deserves a shout out for his coming into the team and not starting, but never sitting down, you know, being willing to put in the work and... I think both of the people out on that right side have done a good job. I don't think either of them have been world-shaking, uh, but they have brought good energy. Certainly, uh, Jay and Lindsay has brought really good dribbling out of that side if came in with a little bit of weakness. I think he, they've both been utilized relatively well, and I think Guzman Codrujo is our best defender, and has been allowed the space and freedom to work with a very fast, two very fast uh, sort of stabilizers out there on the right, right defensive side. 
I think that pod has worked pretty well. I think part of that is the inherent skill of the players. I think part of that is that Miguel Ramirez let them work together. I think the opposite is true of the other side. I don't think that there has been any real synergy on that side, whether it was from uh, Christian McCoon or whether it was from Christian Fuchs or you know whether it's Joseph Mora out there on the side. I haven't seen that same synergy. Uh, but what I did see was consistent shuffling to see if that synergy could develop, right? I saw Christian Fuchs play on the interior, where I think both you and I preferred him be. I saw him play on the exterior. Uh, I saw him play that left-back position to try and push that that skill and that delivery and that technique a little higher up the field. I saw a lot of chopping and changing there that I thought was relatively intelligent. I feel like the problem on the right side of the field was, if there was a problem, it was that Jalen Lindsay maybe isn't the best defender and certainly not the best for headers. But you can't change that. Jalen Lindsay isn't suddenly going to become six foot five. Um, there, there's nothing you can do about that. They, they were good in the beginning. You didn't have to fight that. So I'm kind of basing this valuation off how he addressed addressed the left side of our field. And I'm torn between the fact that I saw him continuously try and address it and going, yes, I'm glad that's a person who would step in and try and change things. I'm glad that's a person who would not, not settle into something mediocre but look for something better. And at the same time, I am troubled by the fact that as many shots as he had at it, nothing good ever came of it. Um, I feel like if I if I was going to rate him really highly, whether it be through really good coaching technique or whether it be through just understanding his players, he would find a way to make that that left side of our defense gel a little better. And I don't really think I saw it. So I think I'm going to end up here kind of in the six range, maybe the seven. Justin, what what are you thinking about this? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I kind of think, I'll caveat this by saying, I think that, that from a managerial perspective, the defense may be the area where MAR did the most with us. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't think that bodes well for the scores yeah, as no. we move further <laughs> up the pitch. No, it does not. Um but uh, but you know I I would lean I'm probably originally I probably would have called this a seven if if he had not already been fired this would have probably been a seven because I think that this area has been you know sort of the most effective it's certainly in terms of deploying Guzman Carujo and Jalen Lindsay down the right that has been the most consistent area of our formation both in personnel and in performance. Um, so, you know, I think you have to give him some credit for that. I think that he did identify that he had the opportunity to stick with Harrison awful, who I don't think has been poor by any stretch, mm -hmm. but I think that Jalen Lindsay has been better. And so I was pleased to see Lindsay get that, that opportunity. Um, if it's not working this bad on the left, why isn't there a, a, a different experiment though? Yeah. You know, why isn't there uh, a look at maybe a three at the back, 
you know, and then we give uh, we give Karuho and Makun the opportunity to flank Fuchs in the middle, or uh, Makun and, and Fuchs on either side of Karuho, and then you you get a chance for Jalen Lindsay and you know maybe uh, uh, Yazwiak to play in more, more wingbacky roles. Yeah, more progressive. I, I, yeah, I I just we knew it wasn't working on the left. And there still was this insistence on the back four. And I think if there's something I want to knock MAR for here, it's that. It's it's the insistence. And this is going to be a theme for me as we progress up the pitch. Is there, if yeah. it's not working with the players you have, you have to be willing... You know, we, we talked earlier about you, you've, you've talked before about killing your darlings and making sure that you're not so sad on something. The same has to be said for the system. Yeah. If players are brought in that don't fit the system that you want to run, the right thing as a manager to do is not say, well, sorry, you know, screw you. Learn to play my system. The right thing to do is to say, well, let's see if a different system works better for the players that we have. So I am going to I am going to jump in here cuz you know Justin I can't believe I'm going to say this but I really love talking to you about football. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to jump in here because there's a player we have not tacked into this and deserves to be a part of the equation and that's Brant Bronico. Nobody else on the team has been clearly designed. I mean obviously defense happens from the front of the field all the way back, but has been clearly designed to be such a part of the unit as Brant Bronico was. He was clearly a spear tip of the defense. He was clearly one that was designed to cut out balls and push pressure off to non-dangerous areas. And I think the work that Miguel Ramirez, I assume, did to get that formation alongside bringing in Brant Bronico did do us a lot of good. Uh, I don't think it was perfect, obviously. I think there were definitely flaws. And you're right, we probably should have seen some system changes uh, there is definitely some stubbornness there, but I do think we have to say that that Brant Bronico is probably, while he will also be considered a part of the midfield unit and how we played in the middle of the pitch, I do think he was an important part of Miguel Ramirez's plan for how the defense functioned. Would you call that fair? Yeah, but but you know, again, I don't necessarily want to consider Bronico here because I do want to talk about Bronico. To me, though like regardless of a systematic change i think if you played a 343 i think if you played you know a 433 i i don't think that there is a systematic change that suddenly sits brant bronico down you know i don't think i just think he's too good in the defensive midfield position but it is in a midfield position it is it is in a you know i'm i'm here to to help break those up and everything but i also have a responsibility to progress the ball uh to find the next pass forward um it, it, so the other thing you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna have to drop my my defensive rating here for mar to a six and that's funny because um, i'm actually and, slightly bumping mine up in my head i mean i think i'm leaning towards seven so here's here's the last thing i'll say if you want to play a possession-based defensive organization and, and formation you need more players across that back four that can pass long we have two of the worst passing center backs and and 
Guzman Carujo is a phenomenal center back at so many different things. He is not a good passer of the ball. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna step in over the ranges. I'm gonna step in because I'm gonna defend my boy Carujo here. He's a terrible passer of the ball. You're right. He's (laughs) at 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 least ranges. At least when it comes to asking for long range passing, he is not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the thing, too. Like, when we talk about systematic issues, things like that, I actually think Karuha looked really solid when he was given the freedom to make the clean, simple pass, turn and find Brant Bronico 20 yards ahead of him, 15 yards ahead of him. I think that that's when we looked the best building out of the back. I think that MAR had it in his head that the right way to play was to ping it around the back until you found the long ball and we don't have long ball playing center backs besides Christian Fuchs. And when Fuchs went out injured, we saw how bad it was when McCoon and, and Carujo had to try and do that. Yeah. We definitely saw that, the struggle for that. I'm knocking MAR, uh, you know, a point off of this defensive because that, that specific piece saying, I want to play long balls out of the back and I don't have the center backs to do it, that is a managerial decision. Yeah, I think this leads me back to sort of, and we're actually going to have to sort of move this along because we don't want to get stuck on this all day. We got we got other parts of the field to talk about. I think that kind of brings me back to the sort of like David Luiz in the Premier League under Chelsea. Um, his role as a defender was he was a good a good defender, but he was a spectacular distributor of the ball. And I think that MAR really likes that style. Um, you know, David Luiz is a Brazilian. It's got that sort of South American influence. And he was very committed to holding that style, even when we did not have the players. So let's take this, the information that we have, wrap it all up, a final score out of 10 for how Miguel Ramirez set up our defense. Justin. I'm going to call it a six now. And, and honestly, I feel a little generous giving him the six. See, the more I, I've talked about it. I am, as ever, I'm the optimist, and I'm the kind human being on this podcast. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to give him the seven. Uh, I do think that from a purely defensive standpoint, he was willing to try new things. He put together a pretty effective defense, even if it had some some challenges offensively. I think he utilized Christian Kalina incredibly well, who I, I think... I think we saw Christian Kalina develop. I think he gets the seven from me. But but I, I think both of those scores are probably fair. I don't think we're going to get into a real fight on this one. What we might get into a fight about is definitely not our sponsor, AHA Disc Golf Shack, uh, who we love, who both of us love. And if you are in the Charlotte area and you would like to try the fantastic game called Disc Golf, you can go and look up AHA Disc Golf Shack. And the gentleman who runs it, Aaron, if you go by and you mention our name, the Crowncast, he will give you a discount on getting you set up with some fantastic equipment. And as we have said before, if you are new to the game and you don't know how to get started, you don't know how to get into it, you can do the exact same thing. You can go to Aaron and uh, you can mention our name, the Crowncast, and he will help you get started. He'll take you out into the field. He'll teach you what you need. He'll he'll help you overcome some of the, the barriers to entry, and he will do it all again at a discount. So uh, a really great local business that we get to work with and we are so proud to have. Justin, is that about enough of that? Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to move to the midfield. 
And uh, should I start the midfield this time? I started the defense. How about you start your thoughts with the midfield? Yeah, uh, so the midfield is an area where I probably have the most frustration with MAR. And, and I think it's because I saw the level of talent that we have, that I believe we have. And, and I will grant you that there are some rose-tinted goggles on occasion here. Um, but I think we have much more talented players than the system we were playing through the midfield allowed for. And, and I think that we have a lot of creativity that lends itself to a system that Miguel Angel Ramirez just was not willing to play, and more so than in the defense. And we had square pegs and round holes in the defense as well. But even more so than in the defense, I think that, that he was jamming square pegs into round holes in this midfield and trying to force this, you know, again, Bronico, you know, he is a, a, a very good defensive mid, and I don't think that you can knock, you know, him. But much like Kalina, in my opinion, how much of that is is the the manager system or anything like that, and how much of that is just the inherent talent for the for the player? There's not a system we could play where you don't go, okay, Brent Bronico from our from our roster. Brent Bronico is one of the first names that goes on the list because you need a good defensive midfielder. Yeah, and and he's the only one that that currently we felt like could could fit that. I mean, we did talk about Derek Jones, uh, but I think we all felt like Derek Jones had some, while he was a fantastic defender, had some issues, further issues progressing the ball up the field. Um, yeah. I, I, I will come in here and I will say, I don't know how this team, with the talent that it has, did not shift to a 4-2-3-1. Um, like a solidified 4-2-3-1. I think that... I think that Brant Bronico could have used the help a little bit deeper in the field. And I think that we have a couple of offensive midfield players in the team, um, whether it's T.D. Ortiz, whether it's Ben Bender, whether it's uh, Jordi Alcivar, uh, whether it's uh, Ruiz, who we didn't see that much of, who like freedom. They like the space to run around and find pockets. They like not being constrained to a particular place. And while I think that the the traditional sort of ethereal number 10 is kind of dead in modern football, I do think that this is a league where it can be effective. And I think that we shape much more effectively to move the ball out by giving the defenders and giving Brant Bronico somebody else close to them to give them passes. Because my biggest argument, my biggest annoyance with this defense under MAR or with this this midfield was that there was no one to pass to that that I would I would see huge swaths of grass that the other team didn't feel like they needed to defend because there was never anyone there to pass to and and it really frustrated me uh Justin I I kind of cut across you there you want to you want to continue on that just I, I don't know that it was necessarily it from from where I was sitting and from what I was watching I don't know it was necessarily that the the Players weren't there to pass into. I, I felt like, again, it was a systematic decision to say, and you know, when I say a systematic decision, I mean a managerial decision to say, we don't make that pass. We don't make a, a, a relatively high-risk pass. It is more important for us to retain the ball and, and stroke it around at the back 
than to try cutting through the fence, try to play something that breaks, you know, the opposing team open and puts us into some danger. Um, and I, I just I have to, again, put that purely on uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez and the systematic decisions that he made for this team. We have players like Bender, like Ortiz, uh, like Alcivar, and I think they want to pick those passes. I think they want to split defenders and get the ball in to a player like Swiderski, who I think wants a little bit more space and a little bit more time to settle when he gets the ball. And, uh, you know, Shinyashiki, who wants to run onto, uh, you know, a moving ball and, and run at defenders. And none of it was supported by the system that, that Ramirez chose to play. And so, you know, I this is an area where I'm extraordinarily frustrated at, at Miguel Angel Ramirez and, and have been for a while. I think this goes back to what Fuchs was saying about you know, not recapping uh, your previous experience, not taking a look at the tape, not taking a look at what worked and what didn't in a particular match. Because I think if you take the time to do that, you can see that this was not the right way forward. You can see that we played better. We were more dangerous in something like a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, you know, a different formation than this diamond that there was this incredibly stubborn adherence to uh, from MAR. And I, I don't know why. I don't know where the stubbornness came from, but I have to assume, you know, that is a huge part of, of what got him fired. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think that stubbornness is, is a big factor there in the midfield. I will say something to his credit here, and that is... Uh, a bit of a challenge, but to his credit, all across the field, including the midfield, I do feel like MAR lived in a land of, if you show me you're good enough, you'll play. And I don't think age really mattered to him as much. Uh, I don't think that, you know, experience or who is supposed to be the big guy mattered to him as much. Uh, I think young players, Jalen Lindsay, Ben Bender, Harrison, uh, actually, I'm not sure Harrison Awful's age. Oh, Awful's um, 35. He's, he's oh, no, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Vargas, who came in late, these guys got on the pitch. They were given the chance by the manager because if you watch football around the world, especially in the midfield, a lot of managers are not willing to give young players a chance to prove themselves. I think that one of the credits I can give him is he was willing to take the risks to give the young kids a chance to show what they were worth. And when, in some of these cases, the young kids kept bigger names out of the team because they were the ones playing better, uh, he wasn't afraid of that. He said, you're the one getting it done. You're the one going on the field today. And I do think that is the right approach. Otherwise, I think you... He was Oh, uh, otherwise... Oh, yeah, I was going to say he's willing to kill his darling. Like, or you know, we talked about uh, uh, TDRT's played for him elsewhere and, you know, kind of came with him here and, and then TDRT's couldn't find space on the pitch. He wasn't yeah. afraid to do that, but... Well, the reason I say that is because I think if you if you aren't willing to make that that move where you, like you said, like I said, kind of kill your darlings, you end up with the Mesut Ozil situation. And that is where you have just one super powerful player 
who is dragging the club down because they're the big name. And yeah. uh, I, I think he did make a good managerial decision, especially in our midfield, about that, where he was not afraid of, of the big names. Do you kind of have a, a number on this one that you're, you're comfortable with in your mind? Yeah. All right, where are you sitting? Uh, I mean, for me, it's a four. This is this is for me just one of the worst areas uh, on the pitch for for Charlotte. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to be the mean one here. For me, this is a three. I don't think I ever saw our midfield truly effective. Um, I think the midfield's most dangerous capacity is that if you win the ball back in the midfield, you can transition very quickly and really get dangerous attacks. I never saw that happen. I never really saw the press effective in the midfield. Um, if anyone won the ball back, it was Bender or Bronico. Uh, and it was never an instant turn up the field to an attack. I never saw the shape change. I never saw effective uh, partnerships build. Uh, I never saw the open spaces filled. The best thing I can say about him in this area of the pitch is he was willing to give the young kids a chance and he was willing to put the people who showed they deserve to be out there out there again. And, and that does mean a lot, but as a midfield, I felt like we had a lot of dysfunction. Uh, for me, it comes out at a three. Uh, I think that's fair. So we move on to the next one. So we're in the attack now. Yep. We're in the attack. Into the and... attack. Uh, I'll go first on this one. And my opinion of the attack is actually pretty good. Uh, I don't think MAR understood how to get the ball to the attack, but I do think he understood what what good attacks can do with one major blind spot. And I have trouble. I have trouble with whether the system in the midfield created a an attacking line that was just not set up to run to the back post, but. I do think that he he identified attacking targets or the team identified attacking targets that came in with a lot of the threat and a lot of the potential threat that you need to be an efficient offense. Obviously, this was not a high-scoring team, but the tools that were put in place and where they were placed, I really didn't have a lot of of gripe with Andre Shinyashinki came in. He looked effective. He immediately went into the team. He immediately made a difference. Uh, Carol Swiderski, I do think was playing in his best position and I think was being given the freedom to show that he deserved to be the man for this team. Uh, Kamal Yazwiak is one of my big question marks. You know, he was constantly referred to by MAR as not quite being ready I think time will tell whether, you know, whether MAR was right as we see uh, Latanzio come in. Even if he does play Kamal Yazwiak, if we see a lot of regular challenge from him where he's not quite not quite the complete player that we need out there on the wing, you know, maybe maybe MAR does be become a little bit more correct, but maybe he comes in and lights up the field and MAR gets kind of shown out for for not using the tools at his disposal as a whole i'm not terribly upset with with how our attack functioned other than i didn't see where sort of the second phase of attack supported them uh justin you want to do you want to come in here yeah so 
this is where I'm torn in the attack is it feels like the vast majority of the situations where the attack was effective for Charlotte FC were less systematic and more individual moments of brilliance. It was, that is very well said. That's very well said. Please continue. I, I don't know that I can necessarily say MAR was putting our players in a good position to succeed in the attack or were the players succeeding in spite of him. I'm not sure because you're right. There's not the systematic run to the back post. We didn't see that. You know, we saw goalmouth scrambles. We saw, uh, you know, Olympicos. We saw world-class shots from range. Um, but we didn't see you know effective crossing what we had the armor goal from a corner and other than that i don't think we saw a you know an attacking goal that was scored you know from a a, a lot of crossing like that we didn't see back post runners we didn't see you know attacking players being put into the positions to succeed where where i think Weirdly, I, I don't think we should be. Weirdly, I think we saw more effective systematic attacking in the early days. Um, back before, I think people really understood how dangerous uh, Karol Swiderski was with his left foot. And I think before people understood that you couldn't just leave Ben Bender completely unmarked, that he was good enough to hurt you. We saw them getting into really good positions. And on, on like our fourth podcast, we talked about the Ben Bender... Uh, Carol Swiderski connection where those two really seem to be linking up and creating really good, effective structured play. And then that kind of died that kind of faded away. Yeah. It felt like we went on the road for that long road trip and, and we were all kind of riding high after that homestand, uh, the, the first sort of full month of the season. Um, and then we went on the road and on the road, uh, MAR wanted to park the bus. Yeah. He would... MAR wanted to play super defensively and hope we got something on the counter. And I don't know how many of our listeners remember, we got one point from that road trip. It did not work. But for some reason, that system that did not work for, for those three road trips or those three road matches... MAR decided that the right thing to do was to come back here to Charlotte and keep playing that system. Yeah. And uh, honestly, the more I'm, the more we talk about it, the less, the less up I am on Miguel Ramirez, the more I, I might be happy that he was shown the door. Uh, I think I kind of have a, a place where I'm ready to settle in for the attack. Uh, I, I think this one is much easier. And the reason I say that is because I have a, a working football theory that it is the manager's job. It is the coach's job to get the team to the final third. It's the player's job to score the goals. Um, ultimately very, 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 very few goals are training ground walk-ins. Um, very rarely do you get the opportunity to set up exactly what you talked about in training in front of a net. It just doesn't happen. Most goals in football come from individual moments of brilliance, from players who are individually brilliant. And that is why strikers across the world get paid exorbitant amounts of money because they are the ones that on the fly can 
can adapt and can create something from nothing. And like Andre Shinyashinki pulling that shot out that hit the crossbar or that hit the like right up in the upper 90 that came down to, uh, oh, I can't remember who it was that then scuffed the shot. Uh, from, from positions of not seeming dangerous, they can just create danger. And as a result, I feel like there is less of this that is on Miguel Ramirez. I feel like more of it is... Did he put players out there that had the ability? Did he did he give the players with the the skill and the pace and the chance the chance to go out there and do something spectacular? And I feel like for the most part he did. Yeah, I mean, yes. So I just uh, I'm still I'm still a little concerned about this idea that that Camel Yazwiak as talented as he is to play for Derby County in England and, uh, you know, come over here for this kind of fee and everything like that for MAR to say, well, I'm just not going to use him, uh, was disturbing to me. Uh, I mean, I think that we were a pretty average attack. And I think the numbers show we were, we were a, a, a worse than average attack, but that is a combination of the whole team. Let's yeah. let's go ahead and and put up a number, Justin. Put put your number. I on mean, it. you know, if we are a bang average attack, which I think we were, I, I think it's a bang average score. So it's a five for me. Yeah, I think it's slightly better than that. And again, uh, I think it's, I think it is a, for me, he put people in the in the positions to succeed in the attack, if not in the midfield. Uh, I, I think he comes out at a six for me, and. If memory serves, I gave him a seven. You gave him a six in defense. Uh, in the midfield, I gave him a three. You gave him a two, or did I give him a two and you gave him a three? Uh, you gave him a three. I gave him a four. Okay. So I actually um, was you were the kind one there, the yeah. And yes. as and sticking with the with the trend of my being slightly more generous, I gave him a six and you gave him a five in attack. And I think yep. what we can tell from all of those numbers is that. Miguel Ramirez was essentially a bang average coach. Does that yeah. that come out about right? That that there were things about him that we liked, that we thought were good, uh, and there were things about him that we really didn't agree with and we didn't understand. Uh, and overall comes out about, about average. Uh, and I think ultimately an average coach results in a, a podcast of, of you and me sitting down and saying a bunch of average numbers without a ton of excitement one way or the other. No, and and I think an average coach also leads you to not feeling that bad when that average coach uh, is removed from his position. Yeah, um, one of the things... We got a... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we got a question from a, a personal friend of ours about, uh, you know, Latanzio and what are the chances he's, you know, retained long-term and everything like that. I, I doubt it, but... It already sounds like there's excitement, you know, with Christian Fuchs's comments. It sounds like there's excitement uh, to be training under Latanzia. It sounds like there's a focus again on on that physicality and, and being prepared to run. Um, and so I expect us to see a bounce, you know. I, I expect us to see uh, some modicum of improvement. And I certainly hope uh, this weekend we do because, well, we've got Red Bull coming in. We saw him recently in the the U.S. Open match. 
Yeah, uh, this is one that we talked about off mic. I don't think either one of us are super excited. I mean, we're excited that Charlotte FC is going to get back on the field. But I don't think either one of us really enjoyed watching the New York Red Bulls play. Uh, it, at least their last experience with us was not a beautiful game. It was a divey, flaky, let's make reckless challenges and, and let's... I would I would call the New York Red Bulls right now the masters of the dark arts in football, and yes, it's not it's not the game that you get super excited to to see. You know, I would much rather play a team that's significantly better than us, but plays really beautiful football. Uh, I would much rather see us play Seattle Sounders again, um, where we get to go out and and play the game and and enjoy what we're looking at on the field, and. Who knows? Maybe it'll end up that that tetchiness becomes a real uh, spark for this to be a good game, and that's what I hope happens. But I do have concerns that it's just going to be kind of a, a dive fest, and ultimately we'll see. Yeah, I am not excited. For, I am excited to see what the squad looks like under Latanzio. Maybe see a bump. Maybe see some improvement. All that sort of stuff. I have not been as agitated about a Charlotte FC match as I was about that U.S. Open match against New York Red Bull because everything about the way Red Bull play is what I hate about modern football. It is just, it is like Atletico Madrid plays in La Liga where you bite at ankles, you, you are annoying until you get the ball back. And then as soon as an opposing player comes near you, you flop on the ground and hope for the call. And I hate everything about it. And uh, as a byproduct, I really dislike the New York Red Bulls. Uh, we have played one match against them. It wasn't even an MLS match. I already dislike this team. So oh, I well. really hope Charlotte does well this weekend. Um, and I really hope that we do well in a way that really kind of sticks it to that team from New York. Yeah, it's amazing how not particularly liking the opposition makes it that much more. Let's kind of stick it to them. Uh, I will yes. say one last quick note that really inspired me. I did read that uh, Christian Fuchs said in his interview that a lot of the coaching that they felt like was was working well for the team was actually coming from Christian Latanzio. And for those of you who have listened to our previous podcast, you will know I believe that right now a great coach is more important than a great manager. Uh, I, I think a great coach moves these players along and builds them up. Um, and then we can bring a great manager in who can set them all up in, in a sort of slightly more coherent system. With all of that being said, we are going to stop it here because we uh, we're pushing <laughs> our, our longer side of a podcast uh, so we thank you all, as ever, for staying with us. Uh, we love you for spending your time with us. And we will talk to you again after we go and take three points from the Dirty Dirty New York Red Bulls. Goodbye.